This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. I'm just going to go out on a limb and assume it was not a Bon Appetit or Epicurious recipe. Could be wrong. It was not. It was not. (laughs) There you go. Mistake number one. (laughs) Hey there, listeners, future callers, and cooking enthusiasts. Welcome to Dinner SOS, the show where we help you save dinner or whatever you're cooking. I'm Chris Morocco, food director of Bon Appetit and Epicurious. Our caller today is Kaylee, who we first talked to all the way back in October. Are you somebody who dresses up for Halloween? I've never really been a Halloween person. Really? I have like one special shirt that I wear around Halloween. (laughs) I'm wearing that today. I'm an elementary school teacher, so I kind of have to get into it a little bit. Okay. Um, What is on the shirt? It's a pumpkin and a pumpkin spice latte, and it says... (laughs) tis the season. (laughs) Yeah, that's it. (laughs) Jake, we're done here. Just cut the line. (laughs) It's oh, it, it is as cheesy as can be. I love that. But Kaylee didn't call to talk about pumpkin spice. She wanted help with another spice blend altogether. See, Kaylee inherited a tagine from her husband's grandmother. So confident home cook that she is, Kaylee decided to try her hand at making some traditional North African cuisine. And I tried what I thought was a very simple recipe. It was a Moroccan chicken and potatoes. And it just really did not turn out anything like I expected. Uh, My chicken ended up being super tough. My potatoes were undercooked. And then the flavors were just kind of meh. So my, I guess my issue was a mix of both not quite knowing the right technique with using a tagine and then just not the right mix of, of flavors, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. What were the other ingredients in this recipe? Like what were the, the spices and the sort of ancillary flavors? So there was garlic, paprika, cinnamon, and I think that was it. Yeah, there was not a ton on the list to begin with, which maybe that was my mistake. Pick something with with more stuff on it. Uh, But yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it sounds promising enough, like garlic, paprika, cinnamon, like, you know, it's like certainly a good start. Yeah. The warm spices that you like and that you, you get with Moroccan food. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. This is interesting to me, you know, I know enough to know that like a tagine both refers to the cooking vessel as well as to the sort of type of dish. But beyond that, I'm familiar with a lot of these flavors, but I'm not actually that familiar with how do you use a tagine? Like, do you brown things in a tagine or is it more about you simmer things in a tagine? Because if I'm thinking 
you know, of like the ones that I've seen, like they're in fact sometimes ceramic. Like even the bottom mm-hmm. of them is ceramic, right? Mine is actually um, has a cast iron base and Ooh. an enameled cast iron top. So very much like a Dutch oven. And so when I was cooking with it, I treated it like a cast iron. So I browned my chicken in the base. I know you can't do that with, I, I think it must be the ceramic or the clay. They tell you you need a, a heat diffuser for if you're doing it on your stovetop. Um, so I browned my chicken in the base of mine before adding the potatoes and a little bit of water and then putting the lid on. And then I put it directly into the oven to bake at mm. 350 for, I think it was 40, 45 minutes. I mean, I have some theories just within the context of like, okay, if I had done this dish in a Dutch oven, you know, same thing that you did, initial sear, bone-in skin on chicken thighs, flavors represented are paprika, garlic, cinnamon. I'm questioning the quantities of those things used. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm wondering what your liquid was. If it was, did you say it was just water? It was just water. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe could have used some like bouillon or just chicken stock or something instead. Something. And I feel like, you know, I would have probably been craving some like onion or or kind of like secondary layer of aromatics or something in there just to build up adequate flavor. Right. I feel like I wanted more spice like harissa paste or something like i love the warm spices but i i think it needed spicy as well and my husband loves spicier food anyway so that for him would have made it even more you know delicious when and when you say harissa are you somebody who normally has harissa in your pantry and if so what brand i have actually never cooked with harissa (laughs) okay but you just yeah, like so you I, shot it off I know like nothing. it came out of like a freaking clip on your belt. Oh, because I've like I've tried to self-diagnose this problem. Yeah. And I've watched a lot of YouTube videos and TikTok videos, like trying to kind of figure out like if I were gonna do this again, what would I do? And Harissa paste comes up a lot. And I've used other chili pastes, mostly with like Asian cuisine. And so I'm picturing Harissa working in a very similar way. Okay. And the reason why I was asking just if you had personal experience with Harissa is because depending on the brand Mm -hmm. of Harissa you get, it's like just wildly different products. Like imagine like buying something like ketchup, but like some versions are like very thin and sour and chunky and other versions are completely smooth and very thick, but like incredibly spicy. You know what I mean? Like it's kind of unfortunate. It makes it actually difficult for us to develop recipes that call for harissa because very often the versions that people can get, like Mina is one brand, but even their spicy harissa is still a lot more kind of like watery than other brands like DEA, which comes in a tube and is just wildly spicy. It's just a completely different product. And there's nothing wrong with one or the other, depending on what you're going for. Mm -hmm. Um, But you're asking really good questions. And ultimately... Um, we're going to endeavor to to figure out some answers for you. I know it's going to be okay. I just don't know how yet. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> I trust you. And I needed to find somebody I could trust. So I called up Lital and Ron Arazi. They are the co-founders of the incredible New York Shuk. They make and sell all kinds of Middle Eastern spices and pantry staples. And their harissa is an all-time favorite in the test kitchen. 
Ron says that Kaylee isn't alone when it comes to recreating Moroccan cuisine at home. This is the big challenge when you're trying to teach people the the culture. Because people in Morocco, or my example, when my family moved from Morocco to Israel, nothing changed. They still cooked, Uh but they had no wood-fired oven. Maybe they had no tagines, but the flavors stayed the same. Right. And it's just about, you know, the way you apply the flavors and the way that you cook. It's more about that rather than the cooking vessel itself. In the end of the day, that's what we want, for someone to, like, make a recipe and have it a successful, (laughs) tasty journey for them. With their expertise on Moroccan flavors and Ron's Moroccan heritage, I knew they'd be the perfect experts to help Kaylee confidently use her tagine. So first of all would be to explain what a tagine is, to understand, you know, what a traditional tagine is, because the way that you would cook with a ceramic vessel versus how you would cook in, a, I don't know, stainless steel or yeah. cast iron, those are completely different ways of cooking, regardless if it's a tagine or not. One more thing that we need to get out of the way is to understand the way that you cook in a tagine. Tagine, because it's a very shallow vessel, you don't cook with a lot of liquid. That's part of the combination of low temperature, little bit of liquid. Yeah, yeah. I never really thought about the liquid, but you're right. It's like the base of a tagine is wildly shallow. Yeah. You're almost kind of steaming things in there. Right. The shape of the vessel, you know, people say that because it's, you know, like a cone, then the steam goes out and then it goes back into the vessel and it it comes out, you know, like juicy or something. We've tried it. I really can't say, you know, that if you cook in a regular shallow pot and you put the the lid on it, I really can't say that it, it, you know, so much difference. I think the big difference comes because the traditional way of cooking is on either charcoal Mm. or or a wood-fired oven. Uh This is what makes the actual difference because wood has flavor, charcoal has flavor. If you're cooking over a stovetop or in your home oven, it's not going to really make a a lot of We actually specifically uh, had our friend, a ceramicist, uh, make a tagine for us. And we started experimenting in terms of different stews, uh, a tagine versus just like a regular pot. And we did several stews and like a blind tasting of such for friends and family. No one could know. Because in the end of the day, I think that's like what Ron said. Okay, we need to talk about the tagine. But the important uh, component to to bring to the table is the flavor. Because you're not cooking it over flames. It's not like real real fire. fire. It's not like the fire has some sort of a flavor to add to the dish. And then it's mostly just about kind of using that as like a cultural significance and bringing like just a flavorful stew to the table. I asked Lital and Ron to brainstorm a recipe or two for Kaylee to try out and recover from her chicken tagine fail. After the break, we'll get Kaylee back on the line to talk tagines. Hey, it's Francis Lamb, host of The Splendid Table. And you know, I just want to tell you that our show is a great place to come to for some holiday sanity. We're getting cooking help from amazing people this holiday season, including chefs Kristen Kish, Eric Repair, Abra Behrens, and cookbook authors Jocelyn Jelk-Adams, Dan Pelosi, and Amy Phelan. We have cooking, eating, and gifting ideas for anyone you're going to have at your table. So listen to The Splendid Table wherever you get your podcasts. Talk to you soon. 
Haley, welcome back. Hi, Chris. I am um, joined here by Lital and Ron of a wonderful brand of food products known as NY Shook. So I'm so delighted to introduce you to them and get this conversation started. Hi, Kaylee. Nice to meet you. Hi, nice to meet you too. Um, I think when we first got the email that gave us a little bit of a clue about this conversation, we were very excited because tagines and, you know, Moroccan cooking in general is something that I grew up with. So it's very much in my heart. I think that tagine, it's very important to understand, first of all, that it's the amount of liquid that is usually being added, if added at all, while cooking inside a tagine is very, very small due to the fact that the bottom part of the tagine is very, very shallow. One very important uh, rule of thumb to remember that usually cooking in a tagine is low and slow without a lot of liquid. That would be, you know, like a very good guideline to, to start with. Okay. And Ron, like what can be taginified? Like where are the, the limits here in terms of what a tagine can be? First of all, any type of stew that you're making in any type of a pot, brazier, you can do in a tagine. The only difference would be that you're going to need a lot less liquid. Some ingredients that you can find in a regular tagine dish would be all sorts of vegetables, zucchini and eggplants and potatoes and all sorts of yams or pumpkins. Uh, obviously, you know, proteins. You can do fish, you can do chicken. A lot of dishes has lamb in them or beef. You're not going to find, for example, something like pork because no, the Jewish people from Morocco or the Muslims in Morocco don't cook it at all. I'm just going to jump in here. Hey, Kaylee. <laughs> hey. I, I think what's important to understand that tagine can be anything, literally. And I think what we were talking about is how do we bring like that Moroccan, so to say, flavor to the fore front. Mm-hmm. And that is done with uh, ingredients like harissa, ras al-khanout, preserved lemon. Uh, we love to incorporate uh, chickpeas and olives inside. Uh, so I think like that, the, the core of this conversation is flavor. How do we bring mm-hmm. that to anything? It can be a tagine, but you know, for me, my goal is that if you have, let's say, a, a piece of a, a family heritage uh, dish. dish that you want to, to center, to bring home, is basically to bring it every day home. Mm-hmm. Like you don't need to think about it as a special occasion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's what's important with this everyday cooking is that you can literally make with the tagine that you have uh, dishes that you perhaps didn't even think about making in a tagine. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think it will be very special to start to incorporate it in your everyday and and don't think that you need like a, let's say, a special occasion to to take it out. And that's something that I think we need to unpack to make sure that you are you are equipped to use it in a way that will give the most of the results that you want, which is like just a super tasty dish. Yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> Lital, did you have a, a recipe in mind that you can kind of use as a blueprint? So, yeah. So we have like a, just because you made a, a chicken dish to begin with, I just wanted to echo that. We have like a braised chicken with harissa and olive that we make very frequently at home. And it's kind of like this base recipe that you can really uh, incorporate to, with whatever you have in your fridge, which I think is just so essential when we want to make a dish 
you know, part of our, uh, how you call it? Repertoire. Yes, exactly. Because <laughs> it's not about fancy ingredients. It's about, you know, uh, onion, tomatoes, chicken. Uh, we bring here, let's say, the Vava Vuma flavors via the harissa. Uh, are you familiar with harissa, Kaylee? I just know that it is an important component in Moroccan food. I do not have any experience cooking with it. That was something Chris and I talked about last time is I know it should be in some of these recipes. We can definitely, you know, give you a little bit of advice. I mean, harissa is something that, again, I grew up with from the day that I got out of my mother's womb, pretty much. Basically, <laughs> uh, harissa is a type of chili pepper condiment. You can find a lot of variations of it. We make our harissa, and I think, you know, it, it can talk to a very large crowd. And my grandma's harissa and my mom's harissa, by the way, other than the fact that our recipe is exactly like theirs, was never very hot. Mm -hmm. You know, just mildly hot, but always had a very, very, very intense flavor because he used dried chili peppers, because he used spices, because he used garlic, you know, all sorts of ingredients that are very uh, particular to Moroccan cuisine. Mm -hmm. I think that if you will take those ingredients, uh, ingredients like harissa or ras al-khanout, or, you know, all sorts of spice blends that really come from that part of the world, it would be a lot easier for you to achieve what you're after. Especially, you know, if you'll go ahead and, you know, use enough of this product, because a lot of people think, you know, like a little tablespoon or a teaspoon of harissa in a whole dish where you have 10 pieces of chicken and five potatoes and peppers and whatever, that's usually not enough. You usually need to, to use a little more than what you think. Ron, will you explain what is Ras El Hanout and, you know, what are the component spices in it? Yeah, so Ras El Hanout is like the, the ultimate Moroccan spice blend. It would be, you know, like the, the head of the shop. That's going to be the best ingredient ingredients that that specific spice blender has and he found that those this combination is like the ultimate spice combination and it's it's good for a lot of different things. Rasel Hanout is going to be very different both in the components that go into into that spice blend and very specific to the area where it comes from because Morocco is a very big country eventually and the cooking of the north and the south and the east and the west and the center of Morocco, they're very different. My family, for example, come from Mogador, which is called Aswera today. Ah. And their cooking is very different than the Jewish people who came from Casablanca or from, you know, like other areas because of the location. It was next to the ocean, you know, like so from so many uh, different reasons. But Ras El Hanout can have anywhere between eight to 10 ingredients. And I've seen Ras El Hanout that has like 30 and 40 ingredients, including like uh, ingredients that you're not going to find today. I hope at least not that people are putting in their spice blends like beetles and stuff like that. Our Ras El Hanout, for example, we took out savory ingredients out of it. So you're left with... A, savory meaning... Savory meaning, meaning something cumin you're not going to find like cumin or... Oh, or no gar- cumin. Yeah, exactly. I know Moroccan cumin. What would you do with that? <laughs> what? Because we find it that at the core of at least uh, Ron's family, uh, Moroccan Jewish cooking is a lot of uh, turmeric even ginger, which is not something that you necessarily associate with Moroccan cooking. Mm. Uh, and that's why we wanted to open the Ras Al Khanout so it can be both for savory and for sweet application. We actually use our oh. Ras Al Khanout 
for baking. And because you don't have like the cumin in the garden, the cumin becomes very can- divisive. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Oh, how interesting. Because, because uh-huh. Kaylee, kind of my, you know, sort of like layperson understanding just on like the most very basic level is like it combines like a certain quotient of like warm spices, right? So things more in like the cinnamon, mm-hmm. ginger, allspice, even perhaps like a touch of clove, but then with like a very like savory, maybe not all the way to garlic, but like, you know, black pepper, cumin, coriander, like those types of flavors. So it's really well-balanced seasoning point being. Ron, I think you were saying it's like it's not specific to a tagine. You could sprinkle it on your vegetables before you roast them and, and it would be totally amazing, you know? Right. We always like to say that we like to take those Middle Eastern and North African ingredients out of their specific, uh, let's call it comfort zone. Mm-hmm. So for example, Ras al-Khanout is not necessarily something that you're going to put on grilled meat or not necessarily mm-hmm. something you're going to put inside meatballs. But we do tend to do that because, you know, it's just a good combination. It's just our everyday cooking has become so interesting because of all the different ingredients and the different flavors that we incorporate into that. Something like harissa, you can incorporate that into a tomato sauce that you're doing for, I don't know, pasta or something like that. When you break it down to the components and ingredients that you put together and you call it harissa eventually, it's, you know, it's chili peppers, it's cumin, it's coriander, it's garlic, it's oil. So, you know, those are all very familiar ingredients that you might be using on on a regular day. But if you take that combo and you put it inside something else that, that people won't expect it, that I think would be the biggest surprise and a good surprise. Yeah. I think the point here is, Kaylee, what we're trying to set you up for is like, don't think of this as like necessarily special occasion food. Think of it as just like a different way in with like, yeah, your cooking vessel, but also ingredients and ones that will translate readily into other types of food that you might cook day to day. Yeah. And I'm I'm so excited about that because I, I will say like right now, it feels like, oh, to pull out the tagine it feels like a very special thing. And I would love to get it to the place where like, oh, I'm grabbing it on, you know, a random Wednesday to make something. Also, don't forget that regarding to the dish that you've cooked already, which you had the so-called fail in, uh, (laughs) I believe you know that without trying and failing, you're you're never going to up your game. You just need to understand that this fail was on the way to success and not something that needs to uh, deter you from trying again. Um, Oh, thank you so much for saying that. I teach elementary students. (laughs) Um, And so I, I say this daily. We sent Kaylee Letal's recipe for braised chicken with harissa and olives, and she took her tagine off the shelf to try, try again. After the break, we'll find out how Kaylee's feeling about incorporating Moroccan flavors and cooking techniques into her weeknight repertoire. Hi, I'm Lale Arakoglu, host of Women Who Travel. Each story from our guests and listeners is totally unique and utterly personal. We love hearing about your first impressions when visiting someplace new. My first trip to the Patagonia region was on the Argentine side. I couldn't believe the expansive territory. It's like being in Tibet. The emptiness and the harshness really, I found transformative. 
or a story told when safely back on dry land. You know, things happened every single day. I ran out of gas on a jet ski in the middle of the ocean. And I was like, what if a sea creature comes to eat me? But then I'm delusional. I was like, I'll make friends with it and it won't eat me. And maybe I'll ride that back to shore. That's how it works. Yeah. Join me, Lale Arakoplu, every week for more adventures on women who travel, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Welcome back to Dinner SOS. Look, I really care about this show. In fact, I sometimes find myself stressing about it on my days off. And this week, when I heard that Kaylee cooked alongside a special guest, I couldn't keep my mind off it. I was white-knuckle driving from Connecticut to Philadelphia last night, right into the storm that, like, extended all the way this way. But there was only one thought that I had in my mind, and it wasn't, am I going to make it? Did I make the right decision splashing out for snow tires a couple years ago? It was, how did Kaylee's tagine go? (laughs) (laughs) And that is my question still. Who is this special guest? What happened? Just walk us through it. Well, Chris, my special guest was actually Lee Tall. (laughs) Stop. What? We cooked the tagine together over a video call. Stop. How funny. How did it go? Oh, it was fabulous. I I had so much fun. And it was great just having the expert herself like walk me through exactly what I was supposed to be doing. And I mean, the result was amazing as well. This is incredible. Her dish did look amazing, I must say. <laughs> Before we hear more about how it went, Lital is going to walk us through how to make her braised chicken with harissa and olives. Drizzle olive oil on the bottom of a satay pan or tagine. Layer in sliced onions and tomatoes. Then take your bone-in skinless chicken thighs and season with harissa, rasa chanut, and salt. Arrange the chicken on top of the vegetables in your pan and scatter it with chopped green olives, whole garlic cloves, and cilantro. Cover the pan and start cooking. Start by getting it to a boil and simmer the whole thing for about an hour and a half until the chicken is fall of the bone tender. If there's a lot of liquid left in the pan, remove the lid and cook until the sauce thickens up nicely. Remove from the heat and top with more green olives. Serve with rice, mashed potatoes, or fresh crusty bread. Enjoy. Kaylee, I mean, listen, like, obviously, you may feel pressure to say yes, but the experience of being able to cook this effectively side by side with Lee Tall, like, did this really change your understanding of this dish and how to cook it? It definitely did. The recipe itself is very, it's an easy recipe. I think anyone could make it and be successful. But like using my actual tagine, I just loved having someone who I could like turn the camera and like (laughs) show her Uh what was going on and like make sure it was going well. It made the experience so much fun. I feel very blessed that she sought me out and like, because it was her idea. I don't know how she got my email. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I won't give away all the secrets. (laughs) (laughs) But it was amazing. So the ingredients. Let's break this mm-hmm. down into sections, okay? The ingredients. What felt new and what did you think? Like being able to work with Harissa, maybe, you know, for the first time, a mm-hmm. spice blend like Ross El Hanout, etc. Right. Well, both of those ingredients were new to me. It was great seeing how they worked 
together. I absolutely loved the taste at the end, the aroma, putting everything together. Smelled amazing the whole time. My house smelled great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, what I loved about the harissa in particular was like it wasn't too spicy, but still packed just so much amazing flavor. And my kind of scale for that was I had my in-laws with me as well in the Mm. house that day. Mm -hmm. And they're from the Midwest and don't love super spicy. So it was perfect for them as well. Um, Okay, so that's the ingredients. Technique-wise, did something kind of happen that felt like a game changer to you? And was that sort of based on like the recipe itself or from Tal's graceful coaching? (laughs) Really the big difference, I would say, is cooking in the tagine versus cooking in a pan. And I actually did some of both that day because my tagine actually doesn't hold (laughs) the amount that Uh. the recipe calls for. And so that was really interesting, like looking at the difference between the two. And when I made it in the pan, I added a little bit of water, but then I didn't add any to the tagine. But what was crazy was the amount of liquid that built up in the tagine, Uh, like as it was cooking. I like panicked for a second because I was like, oh, this doesn't feel right. But then that's where having Letal was very helpful because I could like quick send her a picture of it be like, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Is this right? And then she like directed me to take the lid off of my tagine and evaporate some of that out. And it came out perfectly. Nice. But I see now why you don't add any like water or stock or anything when you're cooking in the tagine, because it'll just accumulate all of that on its own. Yeah. I mean, you wouldn't think that like chicken tomatoes like have quite so much moisture in them, but Mm. it's pretty staggering when you're working with like a sort of effectively almost like hermetically closed cooking environment. Lital, how did she do? She was amazing. Actually, it was so, so much fun because, you know, we had like a a pot of braised chicken with olives and harissa and she had it. And it was just like a different time zone, but yet we both enjoyed like a wonderful meal uh, together and by ourselves. And it was it was super nice. Oh, that's great to hear. And so in the final analysis, sort of lastly, flavor, Kaylee, eating, it was your in-laws, you said, yeah? Mm-hmm. How did you experience it? I don't normally serve food this way, but I was like, if we're going to make this dish, we're going to do it up. So I brought out my like my grandma's Christmas china. I set the full table. Oh, wow. Like I had my in-laws and my brother like all at the table, just served it right out of the tagine itself. And we sat down and enjoyed a great lunch together and everyone loved it. That is so great. Did you serve anything with it? Oh, we served it with rice on the side to kind of sop up some of those amazing juices that had accumulated. Uh But what we decided when I make it next time, I need to have bread, Bread. some kind of bread to like dip in the sauce or like even dip right back into the tagine. Love it. I like that plan. (laughs) (laughs) Who doesn't want bread? (laughs) Love that. Well, I'm curious, like, sounds like you've already got thoughts in terms of, like, where you go from here. Are you thinking of, like, trying, like, a different style of tagine, different kind of meat or kind of vegetable combination? What are you thinking? Yeah, I would love to branch out and try some other meats. I enjoy lamb, so I would love to try, like, a lamb tagine. Lital had mentioned, like, making the same recipe but adding a can of chickpeas to it. Mm. Ron and Lital were so nice and they sent me a big box of stuff from their company. Um, so I have all of the materials <laughs> <laughs> to try all kinds of tagines. I am set. 
Lital and Ron, I'm curious, you know, like we, when we were chatting before Kaylee got on, you were even mentioning how 10 years ago when you were just coming out with your first products like Harissa, et cetera, you had marketing folks who were like, oh, are you sure you want to call it Harissa? You know, what does it mean 10 years on that like you've got folks in Icebound, Oregon, <laughs> working with your products and and introducing their family members to them? It's insane. Absolutely insane. And, you know, that is exactly the reason that we're doing what we're doing. And that is the exact reason why I reached out to Katie and wanted to kind of cook it with her because having recipes and products is all nice and well, but I wanted to kind of help give her the confidence because in the end of the day, cooking is just about confidence. And whenever you have like a new ingredient or, you know, a new kitchen where you're starting to get more apprehensive. And I just wanted to kind of show her that she can do it. And I think once she saw what she can make with her tagine, she will try to make more of it. And the whole purpose of it was like, okay, how can this tagine be part of, you know, like the daily, weekly and monthly rituals in her family? And that's why it was very important for me to show her that it doesn't need to be complicated. And it will all come together. <laughs> yeah, honestly, like you've raised the bar for what it means to co-host this show, to be honest. <laughs> so I just really thank you for, for taking that step and doing that. Our pleasure. Well, um, Kaylee, anything else we can help you with while we're all here? No, I, I think I'm set. I'm excited to try more tagines. I do have one very random thing, though. Sure. Um, Chris, the very first time you and I talked, somehow we got on the topic of like, my wacky Halloween shirt that I was wearing. Uh, <laughs> I also have a very special shirt on today, and it is my New York Shook Rosie Harissa yes. t-shirt that I bought from their yes. website. <laughs> yes. Oh, <laughs> I had to I love bring that. it back to the shirt. Yay. Oh, I love it. Hey. <laughs> I love it. Not just food products, but a lifestyle brand. Well, listen, Kaylee, let us know how the lamb goes, okay? Absolutely. We'll All do. right. Or, or even better, invite us for dinner. If you have a dinner emergency on your hands, write to us at dinnersos at bonappetit.com or leave us a voice message at 212-286-SOS1. That's 212-286-7071. We'd love to feature your question on the show. You can find Lital's recipe for braised chicken with harissa and olives on the Epicurious app, brought to you by Condé Nast. Just search Epicurious in the App Store and download today. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a rating and review on your podcast app of choice. And hit that follow button so you never miss an episode. Thanks for listening to Dinner SOS. I'm your host, Chris Morocco. My co-hosts this week are Lital and Ron Arazi. Our producer is Michelle O'Brien. Peyton Hayes is our associate producer. Cameron Foos is our assistant producer. Jake Loomis is our studio engineer. Amar Lal makes this episode. Special thanks to James Yost for engineering help. Next time on Dinner SOS, Sarah's family doesn't eat meat, but she doesn't think they eat enough vegetables either. As a physician, I'm worried that we're going to get scurvy. Um, I'm just like, I'm telling my patients all the evidence on the Mediterranean diet. And, and I'm over here eating pasta with butter all the time. My kids are eating luncheon at recess right now. Cool. And they all want me to like shout them out at the podcast, which I'm not oh. going to do. But my, my class says hi. Oh, <laughs> 
hello, <laughs> class, whatever your name is, number is. <laughs> <laughs> that will make their day. <laughs> Hi, listeners. It's Chris. On Dinner SOS, we offer you cooking advice to make your week a little less stressful. So I want to share another podcast with you that has helped me decompress from the stress of everyday life. It's called Meditative Story, and in each episode, you'll hear a different storyteller share a moment in their life where everything changed for them. I just listened to the episode with fellow chef Carla Hall. She shares an incredible, heartfelt story about the power of play and how she fell in love with cooking from watching her grandmother in her kitchen. My favorite part is that the story is scored with breathtaking original music and interspersed with mindfulness prompts you can engage with wherever you may be listening. So take a moment to find Meditative Story in your podcast app and follow the show.